Okay, today's lesson is going to be on the necessity of scripture. And before we start, I just want to ask um, everybody a question. Have you guys ever seen the interview on Larry King Live where he interviewed uh, Joe Osteen? And uh, he told Joe Osteen how, you know, there, there's been people on this show that say, um, if you believe in Christ, you go to heaven. If you don't believe in Christ, you go to hell. And then he asked Joel Osteen, so what uh, happens to those who are Muslims and those who are Hindus? Does uh, anybody remember what was Joel Osteen's uh, response? Right, right. And, and one of the things he kept saying over and over is, I don't know. Yeah. Right. So, um, so if Joe Osteen uh, learned the necessity of scripture, he would be able to answer Larry King. And, and today we're going to look at the necessity of scripture. Is God's word necessary to know God exists? Is God's word necessary to know God's will? Is God's word necessary for our spiritual growth? Is God's word necessary for salvation? And, and one of the texts, uh, first we want to look at an exegetical look at the necessity of Scripture. What does the Bible say about the necessity of Scripture? And, and the first text we want to dive and stay in for a while is Psalm 19. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to Psalm 19. In Psalm 19... It breaks up nicely into two outlines. The uh, verses 1 to 6 uh, is about general revelation. And Psalm 19, 7 to 14 is about special revelation. Um, so anytime I ask a question, uh, just wait for Anthony's going to come with the mic and you can respond. But um, does anybody have any idea what, what in the world is meant by general revelation? Oh. Does anybody have any idea what is meant by general revelation? Ben? Um, general revelation is, is the eternal Godhead. Like the someone says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So what can be known about God is plain to all of us. Yes, that, that was good, Ben. Uh, general revelation, it, uh, general revelation, it, it encompasses uh, creation, conscience, and providence. Uh, creation, general revelation, goes to every human being on earth. It goes to the, uh, the, the, to the unreached tribes, to the person in the Bronx, to the person in New York City, every single person. No one can stand on the day of judgment and say, God, you didn't give me enough evidences to know that you exist. Um, so what, you might say, what about the person that is blind? He has a good excuse, right? The, because he, can, he, he doesn't see the stars. 
He doesn't see the trees. He doesn't see the uh, mountains. So what about him? For, for that person, the God has given him a conscience. Uh, he has written his moral law in his heart. So uh, he can know right from wrong. He, he, and the moral law points to a moral law giver. Today is Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, just like I just quoted, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Here, the psalmist is referring to the stars, the moons, the planets. How majestic are they? And the stars, the moon, the planets all point creator who is more glorious, who is more majestic. But, but general revelation is limited on what general revelation can reveal to us about God. We, we look at general revelation and the sheer beauty, the, it keeps us in awe, but we can only know so much about God looking at general revelation. Looking at general revelation, revelation we cannot know the incarnation of God, we cannot know the doctrine of the Trinity, we cannot know about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But, uh, what does general re revelation reveal to us? It reveals to us that God is powerful, wise, and, and glorious. In Psalm 1, verses 18 to 20, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So according to this verse, every single person know God exists. Every According to this verse, there's no such thing as atheists. Either you... you profess the truth or you suppress the truth. And, and what fallen man does is he rejects the truth of God's general revelation. And for that, on the day of judgment, he'll be guilty for, je for je rejecting God who has revealed himself in creation. So, and that word suppress, it uses in Romans 1.18. It, in the Greek, it's to hold down. Uh, Dr. Greg Bonson uses this illustration. It's like you're in a, a water and you have a, a, a volleyball and you push the volleyball down. What happens? It bounces, that exactly, it bounces right back up. And in the same way, fallen man does everything he can do in his power to, to, to suppress the truth about God. And I want to ask you, what are some ways that fallen man suppresses the truth about God? That's an excellent point. Uh, loving pleasure rather than the truth. Oftentimes you go to a college campus and you ask a young student, you know, he comes and tells you I'm an atheist. And you, when you dig a little deeper, uh, evidence is not his problem. He doesn't have an in intellectual problem. His problem is not intellectual. You'll find often when you dig a little deeper, it's moral. 
He just wants to be with his girlfriend. So he suppresses the truth about God and unrighteousness so he can live it the way he wants to live. Right. Any other ways we see that God's truth is... Eric? Uh, one form is um, clearly saying in, in, in the Acts of Satan is twisting scripture to their own convenience. Hmm. Claudia? Uh, just, you know, the idea to follow your heart and follow your feelings and go with your heart and what you feel. Yep. Also, blaming God for <laughs> blaming God for all the evil and wrong in the world, because then they will say if there's a God and a good God, He would allow these things to happen. All excellent points. So these are some of the means that fallen man uses to run away from God, to hide from God, to not deal with the reality of who God is. Uh, verse 2 of Psalm 19, it says, Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. The, the great theologian John Calvin says, The world is the theater of God's glory. Amen. Creation, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, decade after decade, century after century, is showing forth the glory of God. God's, the creation is preaching to us. God's voice is clear in creation. The, the, and, and that's what creation does. Creation is, is sufficient to condemn us. Because God has revealed himself in creation. A scientist at NASA has something called the SETI program. Every year, they, they, they pay $2.5 million. They send satellites into space in search of extraterrestrial life. And they're monitoring to, to hear something, to see something. And year after year, $2.5 million every year spent. Well, the results they come back with is crickets. But, but there is a voice that is speaking that is clear and is the voice of God in creation. The Bible says creation declares the glory of God. And, and, what, and you know, some atheists might say that, you know, if only I had enough evidence, I'll believe. But God has given each person sufficient evidence to know God exists. When you, when you consider the world, how, how God has made, made it, made it you are just awestruck, boggled by the infinite wisdom of God, by His, by His awesome power and His genius. Think about this for a second. Look at the, the just, just you're an awestruck when you just consider the fine tuning of the universe. If planet Earth was closer to the sun, we would all freeze up. If planet Earth was further away from the sun, oh no, sorry. <laughs> if the planet Earth was closer to the sun, we would all burn up. If it was farther away from the sun, we would all freeze up. But it's at the exact distance from the sun. 
not only that, consider this. If, if the Earth's atmosphere has the exact composition of oxygen to sustain life, 21% oxygen content in the atmosphere, if the oxygen content was 25% or more, things would easily begin to burn up. If the oxygen content was 15% or less, we will all begin to suffocate to death, and Earth itself cannot sustain life. So the Earth's atmosphere has the exact composition. Only God can do that. It, not only that, the, when you study, uh, when you look at the uh, planets, Jupiter has big, multiple moons that have big moons. Earth has the exact size moon and the exact number of moons for it to have life. If, if the Earth had a larger moon and multiple moons, the, the gravitational pull would be so strong. Our Earth's planet would just, the, the, the land would be engulfed in water. Not only that, when you study irreducible complexity, the, the cell itself, you are just boggled your mind, it just blows your mind. When you study the mitochondria or the ribosome, the irreducible complexity, just one mechanism fails, just one part of the cell dies, the whole cell dies. All those parts have to begin to work in sync with each other for the cell to survive. The, the, the four, one of the foremost atheists in the world was uh, someone named Anthony Flew. For decades after decades after decades, he championed the cause of atheism. But he discovered something that, that caused him to renounce his atheism. But before that, I want to ask you a question. Which one of these are more complex? Uh, a Boeing 747 jet? Uh, Mount Rushmore, a computer, or an earthworm. What is more complexity? Anyone begs to differ? <laughs> just the, just the. Just the, uh, the DNA and the digestive system of the earthworm makes it more complex than a Bowman 747, than even a computer. So Anthony Flew, uh, when he studied DNA, his eyes were open, he renounced his atheism. He said, it now seems to me that the findings of more than 50 years of DNA research have provided materials for a new and enormously powerful argument for design. Creation displays the wisdom of God. Creation displays the glory of God. Creation displays the power of God. Now creation is sufficient to condemn. But only God's word is sufficient to save. With creation you can know that God is powerful, that God is wise, that God is glorious. But only through His Word you can have a saving knowledge of who God is. In, in verse 7, Psalm 19, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The, the, word, the word there for converting literally means to bring back. God's Word is necessary to bring sinners back to God. Psalm 119, 30, 130 says, The entrance of thy word giveth light and give understanding to the simple. 
God's word penetrates the falling mind of men and it, and it sheds light on his, on his false religion, on his worldly ideologies and philosophies. So the Bible, so what is God's word necessary for? Is God's word necessary for salvation? Absolutely. Yes. We see that God's, the first point is God's word is not necessary to know God exists. Because not everyone doesn't have a Bible. There's millions and millions and millions of people in this world that doesn't have a Bible. But on the day of judgment, they cannot say, I didn't have a Bible. Because God has revealed himself in general revelation, which is sufficient to condemn. But, the, but the gospel is that the word of God is sufficient to save. And the Bible is necessary to know the gospel. What is the gospel? That's scary that no one can answer that question. <laughs> I must not be doing my job here. Well, it's Christ living the right side of the Father, taking upon him the form of a servant, and dying to save man. After that, rose from the dead, seated at the right hand of God again. Uh, the gospel is uh, the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. I'm just going to add to that. It's also, all in, with all of that's put together, it's good news. Is the uh, death, burial, and re resurrection according to the scriptures? Yes, that's what I was looking for. So, it, it, as a church, we should be articulate in the gospel. We should uh, we, a good uh, homework for you guys is First uh, Corinthians fifteen three to five. You should go home and memorize that. As Christians, the gospel should just come off our tongue. We we should be articulate, and, and it's so important that we be precise in what the gospel is. The gospel, like Tony said, is not just the death, burial, resurrection of Christ is the death, burial, res resurrection of Christ. The Bible says, according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5 says, For I delivered unto you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried on the third grave, he rose from the grave in accordance with the scriptures, and then he was seen by Cephas and over 500 eyewitnesses. So that's the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. Three to five. So we see the gospel is biblical, according to the scriptures. And when, when Paul tells us according to scriptures, he didn't specify exactly what scriptures he's referring to. But it, it may have been Isaiah 53, it may have been Psalm 22, it may have been Psalm 16. But we see that the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, is found in the scriptures. That's what the Bible says, faith done by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So, if the Bible contains the gospel, 
and millions of millions of people don't have the Bible, uh, can people be saved that don't have the words of the Bible? That's why they said all great or all beautiful are the feet of those. No, I just said they would have to hear the, go hear the gospel somehow. And that's why the Bible says all beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. Yeah, excellent, excellent point. So, Ben? I think we should note that So, apart from the word, there's, there's no salvation. Do people necessarily have to have a Bible? No, they must hear the gospel preached. But Jesus is himself the word. So, so in terms of how to go to heaven, how to be saved, there's different views. There's, the, uh, there's one view right here, universalism. If you driving down the street and you see a church with a rainbow flag, you don't have to ask, what, I wonder what they believe. <laughs> this is what they believe. Universalism. Does uh, anybody know what that uh, is? It's the, it's the what's the point religion. <laughs> if everybody's going to heaven, then why go to church? Why, why even talk about religion? We're all going to heaven anyway. Right, right. This... That, that, that's what the universalism, universalism denies the necessity of scripture because it, it, it says everyone's going to heaven whether you follow the Bible or you don't follow the Bible whether you reject God's word or you accept God's words everyone's going to heaven and uh, this is a view that cannot be substantiated by scripture and there are many modern adherents to universalism uh, one is someone named Rob Bell who wrote the uh, one of the bestsellers, Love Wins. He was advocating for universalism. Karl Barth, which is a Swiss theologian, he was a universalist. So, this is a view that is not substantiated by Scripture. Because Jesus clearly says, in, in Matthew 25, there are some that go to eternal life, and some that go to eternal fire. Actually, in Asia, and it was like this Buddhist community that, because they believed that everybody was going to heaven after they died, they sought to kill everybody, because they thought that was a very noble thing, so they could get, get them out of this world into the, into the, the pleasures of heaven. Um, technically, universalism is the oldest heresy we have. It's the very first thing that Satan used. You will not surely die. That is the exact same theology that is running through this through that application right there. Universalism is that exact statement. You will not surely die. Another view that people have on you know, how to go to heaven is something called religious pluralism. Anybody want to take a shot at what is that? What can that is? What's that view? Anthony? That would be all religions uh, goes the same way, right? It ends up the same place. If this view says that if 
are sincere, you will go to heaven. If you're, if you're that sincere Hindu, that sincere Muslim, you'll go to heaven. This is the view that Joel Osteen takes. That if you're religiously sincere, you'll go to heaven. But the problem with that is John 3.16. It doesn't say, for God so loved the world that whoever is the most sincere will go to heaven. Mm -hmm. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Mm. Another view is inclusivism. This is the view that uh, more recently the Catholic Church has taken, the Roman Catholic Church. Does anybody know what this view is? Right? It, it says that it, all these views deny the necessity of Scripture. Inclusivism says we're saved by Christ's death on the cross. And for, for those who have uh, never heard the gospel, they're saved also. But because Christ's death on the cross will be applied to them. And can you see what this does to world missions? If those people who have never heard the gospel before are still saying, why risk your life and sacrifice and go do world missions? So, inclusivism is, uh, goes against the scriptures. In John 14, 17, Jesus says, Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The, the, the world cannot receive God because it doesn't know him, it cannot see him, and the, the last view is exclusivism. Anybody want to take a shot at that? Is that, I don't know where you're going with that. Okay, anybody else want to take a shot? Only those who know the gospel, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection according to the scriptures are the ones who can be saved. Right, right. So, and, and Christianity will fall into this, Islam will also fall into this. But Christianity teaches you must believe in Christ to go to heaven. John 14, 6, For I am the way, the truth, and the life, but no one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12, Jesus, it says, For there is no name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved except for the name of Jesus Christ. This is the view that corresponds most with the necessity of Scripture. Because the, the Gospel is, if the Word of God is necessary for salvation, you must believe the Gospel in order to be saved. In Psalm 19, 7, the chapter goes on to say, The testimony of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. See, the, the, the Word of God is necessary for us to go from infancy to maturity. For us to be simple-minded to be a person of wisdom. Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, every day we make sure we eat eat adequate fluids, eat adequate nutrition and food to sustain our physical life. 
one time I was doing a psych clinical and I went to a psychiatric ward and I saw uh, a patient there that was anorexic. And anorexia is an eating disorder where they have a fear of gaining weight. So they would not eat as much and try to remain thin. And once I saw this woman who was not eating enough food, immediately when you see her physical appearance, what sticks out to you because she was not eating adequate food and nutrition, her, her ribs were visible. Her collarbone was visible. Her, her skin looked pale. Her hair and nails were brittle. Not only that, because she didn't have her tongue was parched. Not only that, because she didn't have adequate food and nutrition, her, her immune system was compromised, so she was more susceptible to viruses and bacteria and getting sick. And in the same way, if we don't have an adequate intake of God's word every day, we'll be spiritually anemic. First Peter 2, 2 says, as, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. It, as a church, if we don't sustain ourselves with the study of theology, with, with daily Bible reading, with the study of the Bible, we'll be spiritually anemic. We'll fall to every temptation that comes our way. When, when trials hit our life, un, without us realizing, we'll begin to fold to uh, trials. We are, we easily will lose, we'll be discouraged, lose our hope. And not only that, when every wind of heresy blows our way, we'll be like little children tossed to and fro. But if we're grounded upon systematic theology, if we're grounded on God's Word, we'll stand fast on the Word of God. Psalm 19.8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. See, the, the Word of God is also necessary for us to learn right from wrong. The, the uh, conscience is not a standard of what is right and wrong. God's word is the standard of what is right and wrong. Our, the conscience is like an alarm system. When we violate God's word, the alarm system goes off to let us know that we violated his word. So the, the, the word of God is not only necessary for salvation, not only necessary to sustain spiritual life, but the word of God is necessary for us as God's people to know his will. And uh, well, from, from your knowledge of the Bible, what is God's will that you studied in the Bible? What does God's word tell you his will is? going to say something similar. His will is that um, we put sin to death and accept Christ as our Savior. Amen, amen. So right there, two points of will. God's will is for you to be saved. John 3, 5. You must be born again, right? If, if, if that lost person is walking down the street, that's God's will for his life. God wants him to be saved. Not only that saved, but you mentioned, you put sin to death. God wants you to be Sanctified. First Thessalonians 4 says, For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, your sanctification. Very good. Uh, Eric? 
Yeah, thanks. Uh, another verse that came to my mind, um, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Perfect. So God's will is for you is not only to be saved, sanctified, but be thankful. Anything else God wants us to do? Uh, Matthew 28 and the Great Commission to spread the gospel to all nations. So we, we looked at 
God's, uh, what the Bible says about the necessity of Scripture. We saw what the Confession says about the necessity of Scripture. But now we want to look at the annals of history, and we want to see how the church through history past have viewed the necessity of Scripture. The, the church believed that God's Word was necessary for the Christian life. But from, even from the beginning of the early church, Hippolytus says there is one God, the knowledge of whom we gain from the Holy Scriptures. And John Chrysostom, who was known as a golden orator, who has amazing writings, he, he said, uh, one of the things that he said was, uh, he was rebuking Christians who said that you don't need the Bible, the Bible is for monks. His response to them was, this belief has ruined you, because you need it much more than they do. For those who live in this world and each day are wounded are the ones who have the most need of medicine. The things that are contained in scripture, do you not think they are highly necessary? But now when we come to the Middle Ages, the, the doctrine of the necessity of scripture is challenged by the Roman Catholic Church. They, they taught that we needed to supplement the Bible with hope, with tradition, and the, 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 the Protestant Reformation taught that we don't need to supplement God's Word. We don't need anything, a tradition added to God's Word. We don't need popes. The Bible, the Bible alone is necessary for us. And in the post-Reformation era, one of the scholastics, Francis Turton, said, the scripture is a total and adequate rule of faith. John Owen in the Puritan era one of the greatest Puritan minds, he says, Scripture is sufficient to generate, cherish, increase faith, love, reverence with holy obedience in them in such a way and manner as will assuredly bring them into the end of all supernatural revelation and enjoyment of God. So here is an encouragement for us. When we look at the, uh, not only people like Wade Gudam adheres to the necessity of Scripture, but when we look at the long line of godly men that went before us in the past, of John Owen, we see that they affirm the necessity of Scripture. So, from, from what you learn, what is the practical application of the necessity of Scripture? How is such a this 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 big doctrine necessity practical for your everyday life? Oh, I was when you started speaking about it, I immediately went to Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And to me, that says it all. all right, so the, the word of God is necessary for our spiritual growth. Uh, we would be stuck in sin without God's word, because we would not even know what is right or wrong. God's standard uh, lets us know what is right and wrong. We'll, be, we'll go like the world. The uh, Biden administration has now determined gender-affirming care includes puberty blockers and sex change surgery, and the government says this is necessary for their health despite the evidence, despite uh, all the evidence that shows that puberty blockers, um, what that does is increases the risk of cancer, increases the risk of suicide, what puberty blockers does, it causes irre, irre, irreversible damage to a young child, where even now they want to detransition 
They cannot go back and have kids ever again. Their bodies are permanently damaged. When you stand on the authority of God's word, you are shielded from the moral insanity that is hitting upon America's shores. God's word shields you from the utter foolishness that people are given to. Without God's word, right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. You don't know left from your right and right from your left. Two plus two equals five without God's word. And that's the absurdity we're seeing in the people that reject God. So not only that, the, the, the doctrine of necessity should light our church on fire for foreign and local missions. See, if you really believe the necessity of scripture, how should we look? We should look like Pastor Paul. <laughs> he, Pastor Paul, he told me once he was a Gideon. Since he believes the necessity of scripture, he makes sure that he can get God's word into every hand possible. Because the, 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 when you know the necessity of scripture, there's an urgency to getting God's words out. He takes every chance he gets to give a gospel track. Whether you're a believer or not, you're going to have a gospel track in your hand. And, and there's such an urgency because even though we live in Westchester and we see the beautiful uh, Hudson River, you travel up north, you see the Catskill Mountains, you go up the Catskill Mountains, it's a breathtaking view. But all that is insufficient to save. Only God's word is sufficient to save sinners. And, and the, the lost condition of the heathen was the motivation behind the uh, 18th, 19th, and 20th century pioneer missionaries. Like William Carey, Amy, Mark, uh, Amy Carmichael, Adonis Judson, Hudson Taylor, all believed that the heathen needed to hear the gospel. None of them believed universalism, religious pluralism, inclusivism. They all believed there was such an urgency to taking this gospel out to the ends of the world. So William uh, Carey, he was organizing uh, a pastor's meeting because he wanted to raise support to reaching heathen nations for Jesus Christ. So he went to a pastor's conference and here he was talking about the importance of spreading the gospel to the nations. And there, as, 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 as William Carey was speaking, a man stood up, an old minister, and with a loud voice he told William Carey, Sit down, young man. When God chooses to convert the heathen, he will, without your aid or mine, he will, he will convert the heathen with, without your aid or my aid. What is uh, wrong with that statement? Well, you are commanded to preach the gospel. Amen. I'm not dealing with that per se, but um, the necessity of um, the word for salvation. Um, we also have the necessity of the word of God for truth. Because God says in, uh, I think it's First Timothy 2, uh, Paul says, it's, it's God's desire not only for us to be saved, but to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is a necessity, especially in our days, where truth is ignored and everyone has their opinion not necessarily that some things may be wrong, what is said, but it's just not the word of God. And that will not profit us. Only the truth will profit us. 
It's just going back to the words of Mr. Ryland. Sit down, young man. When God chooses to convert the heathen, he will, without your aid or mine. So there's, he's telling Mr. William Carey, just relax, stay here, you don't need to go over here. They're going to get saved anyway. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus says go. said in Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. It, the gospel, is the power of God unto righteousness to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen. And that's why it's so important that we uh, get the gospel out to sinners that don't know him, because only the gospel is the power of God. I just want to give praise to God because that's one of the hardest things that I dealt with is just being open to sharing with others um, just because of my own uh, 
personality. It's, it's very tough. But because of the conviction um, in my heart, I think that's what's given me the boldness to, to tell others about Christ. I've not had many opportunities as a mom, but um, here and there the Lord has allowed me to. And it's amazing what the Lord does in that moment, the, the boldness that he gives you. So um, he will be with you. And, and that's what I take with me every single time, that he will provide the words. He will provide the boldness at the time. Um, so I, I thank him for that. Um, and uh, knowing the scriptures and understanding the commandments of the Lord have given me that, um, that conviction, that boldness. So the necessity of scripture, even in that, is, is so important. You as a parent, right before you, have the greatest mission for your children. So you're doing a great work. just want to say with what you said about, um, you know, in White Plains, going up to White Plains. Um, I was working in uh, Manhattan for like seven months, and I remember being on the, the, the train back and forth, and I used to see people come in and, you know, minister, and looking at that, I'm saying, here I am, knowing God's word, what an opportunity to witness on the train, so I remember praying and asking, God, if you want me to do this, um, Lord, give me the strength and help me. And I remember the first time I opened my mouth on the train, I mean, I was a nervous wreck because a whole lot of people is in the cart, you know. I was telling my husband this morning that one, one day a lady came in, and as soon as the door opened and she saw me, she gave me such a look. If Luke could have killed, I would just fall down in that train, in that cart, and die. But that didn't stop me, because here I am having the word of God. This is what God would have for us to share his word and the opportunity he gave, because um, I don't like Manhattan. I don't care about going down in Manhattan. I would stay away from Manhattan. And here he moved me all the way from Lodgeman and put me straight in Manhattan for seven months. And so I look at all of those things and use it as an opportunity was to share the word. But it's really, really, when you're out there, it's very intimidating. But if you have the word of God in you, and as, as Michelle said, you know, um, he give you the boldness and he give you the strength. But you're open, because we are a witness, right? We are witnesses. We are light and salt. Who is going to tell them if we don't tell them when we have the treasure hidden in this vessel? In light of just the necessity of scripture, I like to encourage Christians because I think we can uh, use the word amen very loosely and we should only amen that which accords with scripture. Therefore, there is a need of that understanding of scripture. Um, I think we could just say amen. The same thing that, that we have, we have belittled um, the sacredness of the word faith. I think we have done the same with amen. And I say you can only discern truth by being equipped with it and only amen that which accords with the scriptures. Amen. <laughs> amen.
disposal to Amen.